Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Endeavor Business Media's podcast, The Tool Belt, coming out of the manufacturing group here. I'm Tom Wilk, the Chief Editor of Plant Services, and with us today is Bill Leahy, CEO of Renaissance Reliability. Bill is a West Point graduate, and he's worked in nearly every facet of manufacturing. I got to know Bill a couple weeks ago at the Marcon Conference at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. And um, instead of going on about what I heard, we have Bill with us today to tell us all about what he's working on. So, Bill, it's great to see you again, man. Yeah, uh, great to see you, too. And thank you for the kind introduction. Um, yeah, it was Marcon was a great event. We really got to uh, share some new ideas and uh, it was wonderful to see the response to it and see everything else out there. We've made some great friends. So, yes, Marcon was awesome. Um and, and yeah, thank you for introducing me and the company. So Renaissance Reliability has been around about 15 months. We're, we're pretty pretty new. Um, but we've taken some some bold approaches on some things and done some some fun stuff. And um, yeah, and we're excited to show industry what we've what we're going to come up with next. Well, and well, tell and us a bit a little bit about some of the projects you've worked on on the job. Where do you, are you sure. working specific verticals or special industries? Yeah, so I started out in saw in wood products. I was at a sawmill in Oregon uh, with Warehouser, and that was my first job right out of the army. Uh, and it was it was an interesting time. It was uh, the transition out, and I I could tell that the reliability field was brand new because I had heard nothing about it. I was made a reliability engineer uh, kind of overnight. <laughs> uh, so I went from infantry captain to reliability engineer and it was kind of figure it out as you go because there was no one at the facility that had been a reliability engineer there had been no reliability engineers before me and there was only one gentleman in the northwest for the company that i think really had his his finger on it and that was uh pat akins um and he kind of he introduced me to all this he was kind of kind of my first reliability uh mentor and what he did for me and i was actually reflecting on this recently uh but he made reliability cool, which is which is a weird thing to say, because um, I think Pat would even tell you that he probably doesn't consider himself uh, the coolest guy ever. But in this instance, he did. He did. And uh, it kind of changed the game for me. And how he did it was um, we went and trained with Aerodicio through the University of Tennessee's Reliability, Maintainability, Implementation Certification, uh, which is what we we still um, use today. But uh, I went out to train with them, and it was it was like a year-long application process for the company. So that would make it very, very sincere. This is what you're getting into. This is what you're accomplishing. This is the value for the company. Uh, mm-hmm. This is why you're the right person for it. He would really build it up, um, and then he would get a solid commitment from the person. Uh, but the, the magical thing that he really did, which I think is just that – and I didn't get to have this experience, but with Pat is all the graduates that would go through, he would award them a backpack at the end of it and say, it is now your responsibility to carry the message of reliability out to the world. And I was like, all right, that guy, he gets it. And that's the kind of approach we need to take to get everyone else on board is that this is, this is a mission and we're, we're, it is our responsibility as the reliability leaders in this country to make sure that it takes place, make sure we have um, everything to, for long-term reliability, you know? Yeah. Well, that RMIC certification is a heavy lift. I've got a lot of respect for yeah. both the process and the folks who go through it. It's uh, it's everyone I've talked to who's gone through it have reported really positive experience. 
Yeah, and they have. And so I've gotten to, I've gotten to experience it on the student side, um, going through with Warehouser back all those years ago, seven years ago, whatever it is. And then I also got to experience it on the coaching side. Hmm. Um, and then also, now I've gotten to experience it on the development side. And that has been really exciting. And uh, one of the cool projects, when you say what are the projects you're working on, is we've partnered with the University of Tennessee. Um, and again, we've taken our kind of outlandish new age approaches because we are so young and energetic that uh, we're really not um, bogged down by a, a lot of the other restraints that our competitors would have. Um, so we've kind of reinvented it. Uh, me and all my partners have gone through grad school recently and then experienced that both in person and online and really adopted that kind of training model. So the best grad schools in the world, we said, all right, well, this is how this cert certification has been applied in the past. And it's been great and all those things. But the frustrations we had as students and the frustration we have coaches have not been really um, taken on yet. So all of those anxieties are still in place and we just continue to, to propagate them. And we said, all right, well, what's a better way to do this? That's really the big question we've been asking this entire time. What's a better way? Uh, and so we were we were doing it more on a um, more of a, a constant touch based type model. It's still distance learning, mm -hmm. but our innovation, if you want to call it that, is just there's a ton more synchronous sessions. So our students will meet with the coaches once a week for a short period of time. And really, what they will do is it seems like a greater commitment, but what it is is uh, it'll keep people on track and increase that that rate of um, the go rate for it, graduation rate. Yeah, and that's probably the, the biggest thing for our clients is that they want to make, if they're going to invest the money in a student, they want to see them graduate. This will do that and also give them a much better product on the online because guys won't be cramming in 18 months of training into the last two months before their boss comes down on them for not graduating. It's metered out. It's done deliberately with the coach's help, and the standard remains the same. I would, that one is probably the most important thing I can say is <laughs> there's common standard across your organization so it's the first step to building a reliability culture well and before we press the record button today you and i are talking about my experience, my experience as a teacher of engineers yep and how that aligned with your experience working with people in this field where you need a certain extra passion or creativity i think uh, to to catch people's imagination to help carry reliability forward yeah, yeah, I uh, I completely agree. Um, and like you, I've kind of found found myself in this like hybrid mix, and I think there's actually a lot of us uh, that are out there um, and accepting that it's okay to yeah yeah you've got these additional skills. So I'd, like I was uh, telling Tom earlier, is I see myself as I I am not a born engineer. I was not a born soldier, but in the circles I grew up in a in a paper mill town in Wisconsin and <laughs> paper mill towns in New England. Um, and I was raised by a, a recon Marine and football player and all that stuff. And I came up and I went into manufacturing. I went into the service and did all those things. Um, and I got a ton of great skills that helped me in manufacturing. But what has really separated um, me from manufacturing or allowed me to do some some um, innovative things is that I truly I, I'm more of an artist in my mind uh, and how I think about things and whatnot. So. The guys on the current project with me, I was actually on the phone with Ron Moore the other morning. Uh, and uh, 
I pulled up my mind map that I made for this the big project we're on, and he looks at it and goes, I hate mind maps. I said, this is the only way I can think through stuff. But he said he's got a partner that loves mind maps. I'm like, all right. So you understand that marriage of art and science, and it it, it makes a, a world difference. Um, and I'm I know that uh, when it when it gets down to the nuts and bolts of it, that's when I'm limited to what I can do. And yeah. I got great people like uh, Geraldo Signorini and Brandon Wheel that can they're architects and they can breathe life into it. Yeah, so it's a it's a cool thing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's a it's a big advantage we have is um, we think about things just slightly differently. Well, you take me back too. I've got a couple of folks who work out in Los Angeles among the Hollywood complex. And one of them had a moment when he was seven, eight, nine years old, sitting in a movie theater, watching the Star Destroyer and Star Wars go right over his head. And he thought, that's what I want to do. I want to make those effects. And his career has been centered on very technical engineering type software and dart and design, all in the service of this vision that he's got. You know, that, yeah. that you you take that discipline, you learn no matter where you came from. I'm 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 the son of an uh, of an accountant and the grandson of a tool and die manufacturer, and <laughs> I couldn't pull my head out of a book when I was a kid. So, yeah. but yeah. you need that passion. You, you need the creativity to keep keep interest in this field. It does, and that's kind of what we found is they were like, all right, uh, I'm trying to say what is what is my passion. I I like uh, I like building things, and, and that's that's really it. And um, in maintenance, it's it's an interesting thing. Our whole job is to make sure nothing happens. Like that's a that's a that's a good day. If nothing happens in maintenance. That's fantastic. And um, the the opportunity there to build something was this this thing that everybody has been challenging themselves to do since the beginning of reliability times, which is building a culture. And that is what we've taken on. How do you build a reliability culture? And you mentioned earlier, you, you said, well, you know, with some of your past experience. So we worked with a client recently, uh, huge, a huge company, very advanced in what they produce and what they make, just massive. Um, and the reliability culture there, it was it was difficult to get anything started and going because they were making money hand over fist and still doing very well. So there was no real great brain bridge. But what we found um, where there was really uh, an opportunity to mobilize um, ideas and people was around the, the the frustration with maintenance workers was really it both the, the reliability engineers and so on and that and that uh, the day to day engagements with different groups and the frustrations of this is common sense stuff that we're just we're we're choosing not to do and you know the anecdotes and the stories and it's you know um, you know. Robbing Peter to pay Paul constantly, yeah. left and right, just compromising standards just to get things done, and it's just misplaced and kind of good. So we said, all right, what's the what's the craziest thing we can try to build? And reliability is culture is it, and that's that's what we're targeting. Yeah, yeah, I hear you on robbing Peter to pay Paul. That Paul, there's always that pressure people feel to adhere to a single budget, um, and yet in the long run, if you can't widen your budget to make necessary repairs or engage in the reliability program you need, it's going to be more expensive in the long term anyway. Somehow, there's always dollars for the long term, right? <laughs> because yep. they have to be spent. Why why can't they be up here from the short term? And our our argument is it's it's not a question of dollars. It's uh it's not a resource problem. It's a resourcefulness issue is that's, that's the one I always throw out there. It's like, you guys, it's you, throwing money at this is not going to make it go away. It's going to make things worse if anything, because you're going to set expectations for these, 
this new software, this new thing or this new whatever to come in and do it. And you're not going to meet those expectations. You're going to get frustrated and you're going to you're going to put taint reliability's image just a little bit more. What you need to do is gather up the resources you've got and put them to use in the in the best way possible. And that's what reliability engineers do. And I think that that job description or that um, that mission, if that gets defined and understood in a universal reliability culture, I mean, that's when we'll really start start improving. Well, and you and your team at Marcon outlined two very specific missions. So hopefully we can talk about each of those in sequence here. Um, the first one literally was protect and advance made in America prestige. And that in part involves um, broadcasting the efficacy of reliability best practices and the impact of industrial waste to an audience large enough to reach decision and policymakers. Um, I, I've, I've seen the work that SMRP has done in this regard with their outreach to Capitol Hill, and I was really impressed that you've also had that same mindset, which is to change minds and change policy. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, so we've, it's, we see manufacturing as entering just a, a period of transformation. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, and there is such a, a nuanced, artful application of the trades, um, and it's it's come head to head with this this uh, just these marvelous advances in science and technology. And I think we're we're reaching a period where they're starting to integrate effectively. Um, so it's now accessible, it's affordable, and applicable on, on every different scale. And that's that's created this this really kind of um, opportunity for for great change and reimagining of what we do and um, so and that's kind of what we're, we're going after so we want to say that reliability is it's undeniable in its value and we see it as our responsibility to carry that message forward and have it considered in the equation mm-hmm. uh, and just and just to give this some some foundation so like the true cost of downtime report for 2023 uh, estimates that uh, F500 manufacturers, so our biggest and best manufacturers, will lose 1.5 trillion, 1.5 trillion, to unscheduled production downtime this year. Too much. That's, too much. Yeah, and that's 11% of gross revenue. So it's like reliability is undeniable, and we got to do better. Um, it's gross. I mean, it's it's gross negligence. If you wanted to put it any other way, I don't think you could. Um, the idea of protecting and advancing made in America's prestige, what that came from is like, okay, we have these other elements of our value system of manufacturing, just U.S. businesses, environmental safety and health. Like those are cornerstones of what we do. Uh, I used to get yelled at saying that, yeah, safety is a priority and say, no, it's not. Safety is a value. It is something you embody. And I was like, okay, didn't make sense to me at the time. Now it completely does. Um <laughs> And, that, and that's reliability has to be a core value. It has to be something we embody because it is and the, the part that I, I, I struggle with is that it is so evident to us in our industry how these things tie together. Because we know if you improve reliability, you improve safety. If you improve mm-hmm. reliability, you improve environmental scores. You improve reliability, your OEE goes up. Everything improves with reliability. Um, your, I'm sorry, your plant, your assets, your machines, they all do what they're supposed to do, so there are no surprises, and it reduces that injury rate, and it increases, increases the safety rate. Uh, yep. it's, 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 yeah. And we believe we believe that if we can put that, if we can serve that up in a way where the policymakers and decision makers, like we, we mentioned, um, can understand it um, very, very easily in one rapid reading or one rapid view, they can understand it. 
um, and it puts them in a position where they have to act. It's yeah. it's one of those things. And uh, I'm not saying I want an OSHA or a um, EPA to to manage reliability in this country, mm-hmm. but I do think it needs that kind of consideration. If we ended up with uh, something like that, and we started, we would end up with an ISO standard that forces people to take a lot of actions that they don't necessarily need to take, and will not help the reliability at all. Um, what so what I would love to see, what kind of my vision is that uh, the idea of RESH, reliability, environmental safety, and health, all on the same level, they're just just as important. We recognize them, and then when we make decisions, we say, okay, if we do this. How does it affect environmental safety, health, and reliability? Um, and ultimately, if those four things we believe are in balance and they're being properly managed by business and manufacturing processes, we'll get the ROI. It will come. Um, if you're focused on just the the piggy bank at the end, then you're going to end up you're going to miss some stuff and make some poor decisions. Well, and that ties into your second mission too. This is a little bit more personal side, where it's reduce the veteran suicide rate. Sure. And that was really powerful as one. You've got some personal experience with that. Well, I'm going to talk about it if you feel like it. Sure. Um, but I also saw a parallel because in, in those two missions because you're drawing a similarity that there is a price for not supporting people in machines in the right ways. There is a price for not supporting returning soldiers. There is a price for not supporting your plant the right way. And, and maybe that's the parallel you saw when you draw. Can, can you tell us more about that that's particular sure. mission? No, I, I love that. So the, the the parallel between that is exactly what you said. So the tagline for the mission is a whole lot. A lot of people care, just not in the right ways. Mm-hmm. And the Manufacturing Leaders Project is designed to uncover what those ways are. Um, so we're, we're kind of throwing everything at it. And the, the correlation we saw between the two is it was like, okay, reliability, we're suffering. We've been suffering for a long time. We're doing a lot of good stuff. So that same report that I, I mentioned earlier, they also reported a 23% reduction in equipment failures for that mm-hmm. same year. But it's a $500 billion increase in the cost of downtime. So we're going to say, all right, so this is there's obviously a problem here. We're throwing money at it. We're doing better, but it's ending up costing us more. Uh, so it, that was one. So I said, all right, that's an issue. And then on the veteran side, I'm going to throw some more statistics out there. 24 veterans commit suicide every day. 24. The duration of this is really the part that uh, drives me most crazy is that 6,000 plus have committed suicide every year for the past 20 years. Hmm. And there's 4,500 military and veteran nonprofits dedicated to serving these people when they transition out or just any time during their careers. And that's that's the result. It's not a resource issue on either side. The resources is there. The question is, all right, well, what are we doing with these resources? Is it effective? The, hell no. The answer is quite clear. It's, the answer is no. Right. Uh, so what we were doing is we have this idea of mutual aid versus charity. It's a, kind of a cool concept. And really what it does is just where do you position the decision-making and the accountability for the project where you do? With us is we are taking it out of the hands of the decision-makers, the leadership and businesses, all of this stuff. We're taking it out of their hands temporarily and bringing it in-house, and we're saying that we can do this without having to ask permission. We have the resources. We'll pull them together. 
we are accountable to ourselves and to industry for this mission. That's it. And we're going to go ahead and do it. Um, and that's that's kind of uh, where we're going on both sides of it. And so for the reliability piece, we're saying, no, we got all our buddies in industry. They've got the best stuff. They've got the best stuff. If we put it all together and show the world what we can do, they will accept that as this is our reliability culture and this is where we want to go with the veterans. And like you said, it, and for me, this is very personal. Like um, mm-hmm. this project in its scope was much smaller um, three months ago. It was we were doing this just for industry, just for this. But uh, on December 1st, my brother, uh, Major Sean Leahy, committed suicide. He was one of the 24. And um, well, my sympathy, Bill. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, and, and out of that, horrible and tragic. Um, but this was this was born out of it. And it was actually a project that he and I had been talking about doing. So I, I went, oh, cool. you know, you go back and you go through all the, the materials and stuff. And I, I discovered this after the week after Marcon speeches that he and I had been uh, talking about this as a project since October before Metalcraft and he had taken that new job in manufacturing had even become part of the picture and how we could do this. And it was working with a veteran going through the transition at that real time. And I had been through it and seeing it. And those conversations are really what has shaped this. What is the right way to care about this person? And then, and now it sucks looking back on it. Uh, Cause I can read exactly what he was asking for during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the program is just going to be a couple months too late. But, uh, but we, it's going to do wonders for saving other people. And what they need is they need community they need uh certainty in themselves and in their future and yeah and that's and they need connection those are those are that's what they need and this is this project can give them and it can give it to them in this reliability field it's gonna it's just a really cool thing and i think both reliability and veterans are starving for the same kind of connection the same kind of acknowledgement um and relief from obscurity and the Got to find it together, and that's really exciting. Yeah. You know, I was you talking know, was with talking somebody who's a, a placement, placement specialist spe- for reliability, and that person yeah. was saying he had not seen a similar industry that was so founded on handshakes and hugs that since the community you're talking about, once you're in this field, you get to meet this person and the next person, and suddenly you realize we all know each other. Yeah. And uh, because very supportive and self-sustaining. It does. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And it's a lot of the connection you miss from the military is stuff that we are recreating with this project. Um, so I, I can go into the project a little bit if you'd like. Yeah, so if you could. Yeah. Yeah. What we're doing is so the, the, the most difficult time for veterans when they transition out is that period from when they step off of base. Um, and I don't know that and you can't put a timeline on it because for me, it was multiple years. It took before I felt comfortable and felt like myself again. Um, and a lot of them, the result of a lot for a lot of people is that, you know, they take their lives. Uh, so it's a terribly difficult time. Uh, and one of the most difficult things is that is that, OK, well, I have all these skills. I've done this great career. I've got all these medals on my chest. Now they're all gone. But it's really like a who am I and what do I do kind of kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need mentorship and they need coaching. And that's that's what we're going to offer. So there's there's a great program out there called SkillBridge. And that allows that allows um, people with ideas on how to get folks the training that they need into industry or wherever. And they can do it while they're still part of the military. So it's 
there's there's funding there available and we're going to use that to take um a handful of veterans to green bay wisconsin to that factory where my brother was working um and i've become close with with that the ownership team there and they're freaking awesome so we have we have it's almost like the inverse of normal what we run into is we have a manufacturing facility that has its culture in spades and i'm not saying they don't have a reliability culture but they have a culture the owner of the company Ray moran he's out on the floor he's running machines he's working with the guys and it's not that they're running behind it's just he likes to be out there with them you can tell like uh and, and this one really struck me so walking around with the owner of the company typical um you usually get people scurry away like when when the lights come on the roaches run run away it wasn't like that here it was you're walking around with leadership and people are turning around to say hey jerry look what i'm working on it was just a complete completely different thing so excited to work in that environment and also that they have no reliability program at all we get to start from scratch it's going to be really exciting um it's a it's a good size facility. It's 80 people. It's um, you know a lot of presses, water jets, all kinds of cool stuff for us to play with. And yeah, so we're going to take those guys there. We're going to partner them up with um, civilian teammates on the other side, so they can mentor each other. The veterans get to learn about manufacturing um, from the civilian perspective. Uh, these guys will learn about process and all those wonderful things that the military does very well. And we're going to do a full turnaround project in three months. Uh, they're going to go through every element of uh, manufacturing, not just asset management. We're looking at manufacturing. Um, so all the operations pieces, just anything and everything, they will get it. And the idea is that, okay, so they left the military, no idea what they were going to do, no certainty in themselves and whatnot. And what we're going to do is take them learn what their skills are, learn the things that they had. And since we understand that, because we're a team of, um, I've got on my advisory council, I got a admiral from the Coast Guard. I'm a West Point guy, so I got the Army angle. We've got um, Brandon Wheel as a Navy nuke. We've got Air Force guys. We've got everything. We need a Space, or a space Force guy, but there's not too many of them running around. So we, we get it. And I think, that, yeah, it's just... We are uniquely positioned to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and it, it's going to turn into something really, really cool. You know, and, and the more I scratch the surface of the reliability field, the more I see how many, especially Coast Guard guys there are who move yeah, into this area. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, it, it's uh, for me, it was the Navy nukes. Every person I ran into worked on a submarine. And that and maybe that just resonates with me because of where I live. I live in Connecticut. I'm right across. I can see the... Uh, general dynamics or electric boat where they build the submarines they're coming up and down the river and um yeah I, it, it's everywhere and that's the exciting thing with my kids too i'm like because manufacturing you know the scuff is obscure i went to operation uniform graduation and that's what they prepare it's a skill birds program where they prepare um veterans for finding work on the outside mm-hmm. um and i was i was there in that and even with that training they were still there their answers were very vague about what they wanted to do. I'm interested in human resources. I'm interested in project management or anything like that. I was thinking, God, if you just knew how much manufacturing is out there and the diversity of it, because um, I'll drive around with my kids. I'll be like, there's a factory for that. There's a factory for the thing that had to make that to make that. Everything is manufactured. It's just all around you. And it, 
It's cool. It I mean, it's a cool. It's a cool field. Our kids suddenly started thinking about this when we couldn't find. I think it's three ounce bathroom cups manufactured by Dixie. Mm. I mean, you you can get disposable three ounce bathroom cups like for brushing your teeth. Those are still on the market, of course. But the Dixie brand is tough to find up here in Chicago. And we did a little poking around. It, tur- it turns out there was some plant consolidation going on, which meant production slowed down. Um, but my boys, uh, they're 11 and they're 9, and this was the first time they observed they couldn't get something they had once had and took for granted. And so they started asking the questions, well, how are those made? Where are they made? Did the people not want to make them anymore? No, it wasn't quite like that. And that led to some great discussions about this field. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a good point, too. Yeah, you don't appreciate it because it's just been running like a well-oiled machine for so long. That yeah. Thing, yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly the cup is different and they're like, wait a second, what's going on here? You know, and they, they notice they're old enough to notice. It's a little thing, but little things sometimes in a little person's world can make a big deal. And I, I think I've noticed this with my son in, at his school with with some with engineering and some of the more practical applications of it. Mm-hmm. And YouTube's actually done a good job with that. Some of those celebrity engineers now have done a fantastic job of getting these guys excited. And I think and that's kind of what we're going for with this, too. So yeah. I challenge my son. I'll make him do uh, uh, when I travel. I get I bring a switch with me. So we'll play Minecraft at night at the, from the hotel room. Uh-huh. And I challenged him. Um, he's 10. But I'll be like, I want you to build me a bread company in Minecraft from um, from the agriculture piece of it to harvest all the way through distribution. And he was a 10 year old was able to build that up and just manipulating the code and the different blocks and everything. It's been really, really cool. Yeah, it's a, it's it's amazing what they come up with. But I, I really think and, and kind of one of the ahas for that was like, oh, man, this is this is great. I've been trying to talk to him about what I do at work for for forever like everyone in my family i kind of get that blank like all right bill like tell us when you got something funny to say and uh tell us a story about the time the goat got into the factory like that kind of thing (laughs) and uh yeah so i so one of the one of the realizations we had was that i could not get them interested or start a conversation with them but by just changing the channel slightly and how we approach that that communication piece it's it made an incredible difference and that and that's one of the big things we're playing with too so when i was at the when i was in the, my mba program um i went uh did a, a market analysis for our industry so for reliability consulting or whatever you want to say it so i listed all of the different competitors we had um on one one side of the major one axis and then all the different positions on the top and then all the different offerings because I wanted to see at what level were their gaps, uh, who was underserved, who was overserved, where were their opportunities that we could move into. And what I realized is there is uh, a ceiling on offerings that just that at like the director level, maintenance director. So there was we were failing as this consulting, this, you know, we'll call it a lobbying arm of industry by not pushing ourselves out there. We've accepted it. And I even brought. So part in that program, I came up with a, a marketing strategy on how to get in touch with these people and how to affect them, um, brought it to the old leadership. And they're like, yeah, people have tried it. It'll never work. And I was like, holy smokes. Like, all right. So I'll put that one to the side for now. And then now we're getting to resurrect it. And it's really exciting. So and that's one of the big issues is it's reliability is not taught in business school. It's not taught. And um, even some of the engineering programs, it's it's lacking. And I know that because I've been through 
I went to the University of Tennessee's uh, reliability and maintainability master's program. I went through uh, UNC Chapel Hill's MBA program, and we barely talked about it um, mm. in either one as far as asset management goes. Obviously, the reliability engineer program, it was really, really good, but it was focused on product reliability, not manufacturing. Um, so completely different things. But we go to the same business schools and the same universities as all those people in Washington, and they're not getting the industrial experience that we have in our everyday jobs. They just don't know. And then we need to communicate in new ways with them. And so we found that, hey, producing a film would be great or anecdotal evidence. Just make it eye-catching and fun. Yeah. Well, let, let's make sure we talk about the film today, too. What can you tell sure. us about the film that you're working on? Sure. So it's a it's a story of hope right now is the is the working title. We we have another one, a couple others that we're playing with. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's this is the culmination of everything. So we've been talking about all these issues that we have: veteran suicide, the obscurity of reliability, um, and what we've come up with is this is this is the project. This is the this is my brother and mine's vision kind of coming together. And I'm mm. calling it, this is a, a living amends for me. So people have asked, what is what does this film mean to you? And it's, it's, a, it's a living amends. It's uh, for my brother. Um, I get an opportunity to go back to Wisconsin, um, help the factory that, you know, he was going to help. Uh, I'll get to spend some time with his boys and build a relationship with that. Um and yeah, his wife's there. She's been a friend of the family for you know 30 years. It's just it's we'll get to we'll get to do that portion of it, um, tie up loose ends for him. And then for me, it's yeah, kind of that same thing. It's uh, I was not a great army officer. I'll just straight up say that uh, my career was uneventful and um, yeah, not great. And I the the soldiers that were under my my leadership for a brief period of time. I wish I would have done better, kind of thing. I was a young, I was a young man, and I, I did not understand the the responsibility that I had at the time, and I could have done a better job, um, and that I couldn't help them then. But now, as I've matured and I have something very valuable I can offer them, uh, mm -hmm. so that's that's part of it for me. Yeah, and just and then losing a brother is I I don't it, it's unnecessary. It doesn't have to be this way. So it's just finding new ways to do it is yeah really good. Well, and in the flyers you passed out at Marcon, um, a familiar name jumped out to me, Dr. Kim Bynum. Uh, yeah. Working with your team. I had I, I talked with her on a previous work about a year and a half ago. Did you really? Oh, I didn't know that there was a connection there. Yeah, so she's, uh, she's fantastic. I met her at Operation Uniforms graduation, and she's coming on because we know there, there's a business element to all the to reliability that we we haven't brought in, and we have to be able to communicate that. Mm -hmm. um, I've been through business school, but I am not. Dr. Kim, she is the professor of, I think it's leadership and management and organizational behavior at Jacksonville State University. Uh -huh. um, she's, but she too is a retired Navy captain. She's a 06. She did a career. She was enlisted before too. So she under, so she understands every single rank in the military. Uh, those things to go on, and also she offers some different perspective as a woman. And she's, yeah, she's fantastic. Um, and her primary role on the film. I say, okay, that's great. She's a leadership uh, manager, but we want her to focus on is we do some great stuff from reliability, and uh, a lot of our clients and our competitors' clients advance. 
and it go then it goes backwards as soon as that energy leaves so there's like a there's like a, mm. a, a suck there so one of the things we were focusing on dr kim's purpose will be what does sustainability look like after these guys leave how do we how do we create ter- make this a cultural thing and part of the everyday practice so yeah dr kim will be helping with that um other key players um so the film company that we're working with is never forgotten media they're out of san diego um michael wood he's a he's a marine corps veteran running that one they've been absolutely lights out they've been awesome this whole time um yeah i have to show you the whole mind map of all the different players but yeah dr kim's a big one the university of tennessee with kim kallstrom and klaus they're both fantastically helpful mm-hmm. um and then metalcraft mint i can't say enough about them like uh, it's crazy what he's doing to be all honestly i was like that was the thing i was most worried about when entering this this project is like i gotta find i gotta find a factory uh that's willing to open their doors and i have to find a factory with an owner that's crazy enough to say yeah go for it and he was like i knew that this needs to happen this is this is great this is uh, and he's just he's on board uh, and that's how this that's how this whole project's been going it's um and we found that that's why i love the mutual aid approach to it is that every time we've run into an issue with one of these big power structures like we need permission or something like that we've asked the question like well do we really or is there another way about this and we just keep on cruising along and um one of the things that michael said to me recently the the director he's like well you guys have done in three months um most of these films and projects work on this is like six eight years to get to this point and it's all been from that just change in approach just slightly where uh, no one compromises anything we're not looking for compromise it's just collaboration what resources you have what we can we do for you and it's been this really really cool project and um and i, I think that's going to be exciting too when we uh when we start bringing our friends in from industry to help on site Um, we're going to bring competitors in and have them demonstrate what they do because it's that important and there's enough work out there for everybody too that's it's like there's so much work and so much need um and that's why they can't fill their the all these reliability billets is yeah i'm ready to work together anybody out there who wants that's listening to this podcast wants to get together and do some good work um yeah find me let's point them in your direction they can find you on linkedin for sure um, yep. What other websites would you direct them to to find out for more information? Uh, R2.info, and that's mm-hmm. R, and then spelt out too. So R-T-W-O.info is our main site. Um, and then coming up very, very shortly, the film will be putting on a lot of um, production uh, marketing kind of stuff. And that's that'll be the best place to follow the projects in its entirety. Um, we've also have some other stuff going on this summer, um, to build awareness around this. We are, uh, we're going to attack a couple Guinness Book of World Records, um, one for longest prayer chain, uh, that's currently held by the Aussies. And we want to do it just, uh, build the, the church community or the spiritual community around the, the film and the project. And, uh, so we'll have, um, different groups can, uh, fill out they're like little those little bar bracelets that let everyone know you're 21 and they write a mm-hmm. prayer on it they send it in and then we'll assemble them all and see if we can break that record at the end of the summer okay so there's groups moving with that one and that one will be pretty cool and powerful but yeah there'll be all kinds of stuff it's it really is it's it's gonna be a, a movement i rented a house in wisconsin for the summer so if anyone wants to come in and visit see metalcraft you're more than welcome but well, yeah 
I'm based out here in Chicago, so I don't know if it's oh, a, a, a long drive up there, but maybe I can swing by and, and see what's happening on site this summer. That'd be great. That looks fantastic. We are in the shadow of Lambeau Field. It is. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and what, what they make there is uh, the military coins that we all love so much. The, they're in, the custom recognition is the, the, the industry they're in, I guess. But they do those. They make... Um, just so much cool stuff like the the medal for their arnold classic the weightlifting competition it's like yeah. it's massive they make those ncaa trophies all that stuff very oh, cool cool yep. all right well for those listening you might get a part two later on if i can swing up there and uh and, and, yeah. and visit bill on site so well, yeah you're bill, more than welcome thank you for being on the podcast today uh we covered a lot of ground and i, I really can't thank you enough for your openness and and talking about everything you're working on this is fantastic I appreciate it. And yeah, um, and we are, and everyone is welcome to contribute in any way that they find meaningful to themselves. Um, and if you don't, if you want to contribute and you don't know how you can fit in, um, again, hit us up and we will make sure um, that your energy goes to the right place. All right. Well, once again, man, thanks for being here. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon.